I didn't see the movie. I don't watch fake movies. You didn't see the although, movie? Oh, come on. No, no. <laughs> it captured America. Why would I, <laughs> you lived Why it. would I want to see a movie that... Welcome to Mother Buckers, the first and only podcast for hockey moms by a hockey mom. And that's me, Julie Bardowski. Part four today for episode 64 of Lou Vero, speaking about the 1980 Olympics. I know that you guys have been listening with rapt attention at the stories that he's been sharing and building up to this amazing insider's review of the 1980 Olympics. So much that he talks about here, how he became involved with it, how he became collegial with Herb Brooks, how they uh, made it through the games, the, the things that you did not see on TV. You will hear all kinds of stories. Um, as far as uh, what's been going on in my world, I'm going to give you a quick apartment update. So last fall, Let's talk about the police officers that have been surrounding our apartment building complex. One day before 8 a.m., Tuesday before 8 a.m., I leave at, you know, to go to the gym, coming back, and three different buildings with three different sets of police officers. One, handcuffs. Two, guns drawn but not pointed. And third, couldn't see. So they were all in different locations. Then, we had noticed there's all these really nice cars and we're like, wow, these people buy really nice cars and they're living in an apartment complex. It just seemed a little bit odd. Well, guess what? When things seem a little bit odd, they are. Because it was a car theft ring that the FBI came and busted. And that was just right across the parking lot from us. So we have had quite the experiences here. And um, even one of our hockey dads, they had their car stolen out of their driveway last night. We don't want to talk about that too deeply because it still hurts because that happened last night. Anyway, or the night before, whatever, the last couple of nights. But those are some things that are going on here in our world. One of the good things, you'll hear this in um, another episode, Lou and I had bet on the bean pot. Lou picked Harvard. I picked our friends at Northeastern. Guess who wins in a shootout? I do. Okay, no, really, they won. Northeastern, of course. But I won the money. So Lou owes me a dollar. And I want you all to know, he may be the hockey apostle, but I'm, you know, and after picking the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, I'm calling myself just the sports oracle at this point. So if you have any questions, if you need to make any bets, give me a call. I'm your person. But let's go ahead. Let's just dive right in so that you can hear all about the fun with the 1980 Olympics. I cannot wait to hear what you all come away with from this. Super fun. Here we go. On that note, obviously, you got to take us back, you know, 40 plus years. Um, spend some time on this. I know everybody wants to hear it, Rachel. So, oh, yeah. Um, take us back to the the miracle days or whatever we want to call them, right? And uh, set the tone for us and 
what you did and how you were involved and everything you know? Because I think people really want to hear that, Lou. Well, I was coaching the junior team. And I was on my way to Sweden, I think it was, or wherever it was, maybe Germany. I don't remember, but it was 79. No, it might have been, uh, yeah, it was 79, December 79. And I had been in contact with Herb. Herb and I had become friendly. He liked what I did in Austin, Minnesota. He used to come to a lot of our practices. And that was the first real introduction in America that I know of for a heavy European, especially Soviet influence in hockey. And I remembered Tarasov's words clearly. Don't copy. What the copy will be could be second best. There's only one Mona Lisa. Everything else is a copy. Not as good. Don't copy us. I had that advice from my teacher when I was a young coach in the Soviet Union in the 40s. He told me, don't go to Canada and copy. Stay here and develop something of your own. You can borrow principles and ideas from other countries, but we have a unique country with a unique culture. Whatever you do, make it work for our people. He told me to do the same, and I took it very seriously. And I thought about it, and I said, the man is a genius. He's right. But anyway, so it wasn't a copy of Soviet hockey, but it was heavily influenced, and it was very successful. I didn't have any dreams of being a coach. I was a volunteer coach in Brooklyn. At this point, Lou remembers again his time spent moving from Brooklyn over to Austin, Minnesota, which you'll hear about in the early years, part one with Lou Vero. But he also talks about his friend, John Mariucci, whom he refers to as the godfather of U.S. hockey, and who John Mariucci brought to a game in Austin, Minnesota. And that's where we pick up. Then I noticed Ben Mariucci, who I call the godfather, showed up one morning at breakfast and introduced himself to me. I knew him from TV interviews on Ranger games whenever they played the North Stars, Bill Chadwick, the big whistle, he would interview John Mariucci. He was a referee when John was playing in the NHL, so they knew each other. They had a relationship, and I always enjoyed him. He was so funny, and he wore wild clothes. You know, I got a kick out of him. I could see his face was kind. Well, he came up to me, and he greeted me in Italian language because his parents were immigrants from Italy, and I understood exactly what he said, and I greeted him back, and and uh, he was real nice. Welcome to Minnesota, and your unique character. He said, I've heard about your practices off ice, on ice, and said, do you mind if I uh, watch? He was the only person other than the Zamboni driver in the ring. And I said, no. No, nice to meet you, Mr. Mariucci. You too, Lou. Good luck with everything. And he became a mentor to me and a friend. He really did. And the kids all knew who he was, the Minnesota kids. They knew him. And uh, so one thing leads to another. And I look in one day, I look in the crowd and I see three faces. I had no idea who they were. Later, I remember John Marshall knew them told me, he said, 
One is a guy named Jack Vladowick. Another one is Herb Brooks, the coach at the University of Minnesota, and and Warren Strello, uh, coach of Matanita High School. And they're all former friends. They're all friends, and they're all working at the University of Minnesota. In the meantime, I, none of that clicked with me. I didn't know what it was, the University of Minnesota. And um, it wasn't a part of my culture. I didn't know what it was. And they never introduced themselves at first, but they would watch. And I'd see them every once in a while. They'd be down there, and they had a notebook out, and I saw who then was, who became, who I found out later was Herb Brooks. He was writing. So one day, soon after, I get a call, and he says, Lou, the season's going to start soon. This is Lou Barrow? I said, yes. Who am I speaking to? He said, this is Herb Brooks. Uh, from the U and I was stunned I said what's the U <laughs> I, never heard, I, I said that to him what's the U and he said the U the U the University of Minnesota I said okay I'm sorry don't get excited I said I'm sorry I don't know do you know where Brooklyn College is <laughs> and he was stunned he said no and I told him I said I'm from the only college I ever heard of was Brooklyn College I don't know all the Midwest stuff and uh, he was real nice. He said, would you, once the season starts, I'd like you to bring your team up, if you like, on Monday night and play against uh, JV. He said, I've been at a lot of, some of your practices, and I really like what I see. I'd like to sit with you sometime and compare notes. I said, sure, be honest to do that. Thank you very much, Mr. Brooks. He said, no, no, Herb, Kirby. I said, thank you, Herbie. I said, come see me when you're, if you're down in the rink and visit. Are you allowed to come in the room and say hello to the kids? I'd love to have you do that because Mariucci was doing that. You know, I had John come in and he liked it. He liked that. He was so funny. He could tell stories. He was great. The kids loved him. And so did I. Good guy. So, uh, uh, that's how that, that's my first time meeting with these guys and Strello I got to know very well great goalie coach maybe the best I've ever seen anywhere in the world and a great guy and Jack Bladowick one of the best physiologists and human beings and hockey men that I've ever known great men. and uh, so now we'll slide over to so anyway Herb and I you don't become friends with Herb really close friends your colleagues it's a, he's not. A, he wasn't a warm guy. No, not. No. Except with his grandchildren, and that's another story that people should know what a loving, wonderful grandfather he was, and how much it meant to him. Told me he missed that with his own kids, and he gave and his two kids, Kelly and Danny, are just great people, and uh, and his his wife, uh, uh, Patty great lady and he always gave her credit for raising the kids said I, Lou I can't take one ounce of credit for those kids that's all Patty I was gone now that I have these I don't know a bunch of grandkids I think eight or nine he said I'm loving every minute of it I just love it told me that in 2002 in Salt Lake City so we developed a close uh, professional uh, 
colleague to colleague that you can. But he wasn't Mariucci to me. You know what I mean? It was just different. There was always a distance there. Um, uh, he was a very private guy. So, uh, but a hell of a coach, a hell of a leader. He could have been president of our country, could have been governor of Minnesota, and he would have been good at either thing. He was a natural leader. I would say that was his strongest suit he could lead. And um, so I learned from him and uh, appreciated him very much. And uh, But I, I sometimes I, I question his uh, loyalty to me. That's the only thing. But I, I hold nothing at all against him. I, I don't think anybody could have won the gold medal uh, coaching that team than him. Him and Craig Patrick, they did a great, great job. They were perfect for that group. Perfect. They're great, really great. They deserve a lot of credit. Um, so uh, he asked me then if I I was here for the sports festival, the first one ever in 79, and he would talk to me every day at the rink. I wasn't an official part of anything, and he would ask me questions all the time. He always did. And uh, he'd ask me about players. I remember he asked me about Aruzioni. A lot of people didn't like the way Michael Aruzioni played. Um, but he was on the New England team coached by Tim Taylor. And every game he got points, scored goals, odd goals sometimes, lost his ass and in, or, you know, things like, but he scored. And garbage goals are really important. Yeah, they are. Sometimes they can change and, the game. <laughs> yep, garbage. You, not everybody scores garbage goals. Right. The all-time leading Soviet player was not a great marksman, but he was a great goal scorer. Still holds the record. Boris Mikhaila. Uh, he just had that instinct to find the net and the drive. So... I, I remember saying to her uh, when he was getting ready to pick the 25 or whatever it was, 28 players or something for the final, for the final to make to develop, take the final team from that group after playing exhibition games and everything. I remember saying he still was w- wondering about Aruzio and I said, "Once you talk to Timmy Taylor, he coached." He said, "I will." And they were former teammates on U.S. national teams. They had a great relationship. In fact, before he picked Craig Patrick, he offered that position to Timmy, and Timmy didn't take it because he was at Yale or just starting at Yale, and he didn't think he could afford to leave for a year. So, um, and that's factual, what I just said. Um, you can't check it with the people because they're all dead, but it's factual. <laughs> so, oh, my goodness. Well, well, is it, it was this, um, so, so how he's putting this together was so obviously Lou, you know, it was portrayed in the Hollywood manner and the movie miracle that every hockey player and every hockey parent has memorized. Um, and, and, and there were many of us who, who were alive and experienced it, but, um, when you're talking about when he's pulling together the coaching staff and the way he's pulling together the players and it was so different from the way that it had been done in the past. Did you support that direction? Yeah. Great. 
And what was the main reason for you liking the way Herb was going about this? Because he was a leader. Yeah. And he was, and he had a quality that only winning coaches have. Consistent winning coaches have, have, and I've said this forever. I'm not like that. And it hurt me in my coaching. I'm not like that. But the best coaches, or not, not the best, the coaches who teach, you can't, but the most winning coaches are selfish people. They make very good decisions because they're selfish. And the reason they do is because they want to win for themselves as much as they want the team to win for the team. They want to win. And if they're selfish guys and they'll do anything to win, they don't worry about hurting someone's feelings or cutting the guy. I remember I said to the great Soviet coach, famous coach, he came out one time. I said, uh, Victor, Victor Vasilyevich, Victor Vasilyevich, that's the right way to say it in Russian, which would means Victor, son of Vasily. Um, it's a polite way to say it. I never called Anatoly Tarasov, uh, it's really pronounced Tarasov. I never said Anatoly, never. I'd say Anatoly Vladimirovich, son of Vladimir, Anatoly, son of Vladimir. He liked it. It's polite and respectful. I said to him, doesn't it bother you even after all these years to cut players? You got to cut players. You ever get tired of it? I got tired. I couldn't do it anymore. Boy, I gave up coaching. That's the real reason why. I just couldn't cut a kid anymore or a person. I just hated it. Hated it. Yeah. Um, he said to me, no, yet. Quick yet. And he said, look, they're in the army. That was his excuse. I said, yeah, but you coached in Riga. They weren't in the army. And, you you know, Dinamo, uh, wherever you coach, you didn't coach army players. He said, they're soldiers. I don't care about them. They get cut. They get shot in war, Luke. I'm not worried about cutting them. They'll survive. I said, it doesn't bother you? Nope. It doesn't bother them when I get fired. If I don't win, why should I care about them? Tell me that. And, and he didn't say it in a mean way or anything. That was his philosophy. And he was a selfish guy. So was Tarasov. So was Brooks. A lot of the most successful coaches are selfish people. And it makes them much better coaches in, in not kids hockey, high-level hockey where you get paid to win. Right. Universities and professional and all that. I, it's not my nature. It's not my character. So uh, my teams. Very I'm looking at all the people. Now that you mentioned it, I'm looking back at all the coaches in the NHL who yeah. I know. Yeah. It's a really selfish bastard, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and they're the most successful coaches. They are. They really are. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Oh, that's oh. You know, you know, my son had a question for you on about Victor uh, Vasilievich. Did I say it right? Victor Vasilievich. Yeah, Victor, he yeah he um, 
my son has always been a fan of, of the Russian, Russian style of hockey. And, um, I asked him that I told him we were going to be talking about this topic today. And, um, he wanted to know if Victor was as tough as he is portrayed in the movie. And as, as we've heard, you know, that all everybody said what a tough man he is. And it sounds like from what you said, he is very much that a very tough individual. Except to his family and his dog. Yeah. And and Igor Larianov and Petitov, this is the story they said to me, as I remember, and I could be wrong a little bit on it, but I think players schemed on how to kidnap and torture and kill his dog oh <laughs> at God. one point. Oh. They were so pissed at him, they oh. hated him. Oh, my gosh. Uh, um, you know, his he son actually them. lives in Nashville, and he's a neighbor of good friends of ours that are a hockey family. His son is living right there in Nashville now. I'm not his son, his grandson. His grandson. That's it. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. I met him in, I saw him in Monument with his little boy. He's a great guy. Yeah. He is a great kid. Say hi to him for me. He's a wonderful guy. You bet I will. But his grandfather was a, a very, very demanding, tough coach. Um, but you know what? He was a product of World War II. Yep. Uh, I think he told me one time that he was hungry as a kid, walking the streets, uh, devastated cities in the Soviet Union. You know, most kids are not lucky. I mean, most of the last generation of Russian kids never had a grandfather. They, they never met their grandfather. 30 million people died in that. They call it the Great Patriotical War, where they defended their motherland. Mm-hmm. 30 million people is the number I heard. Yeah, you're right. Maybe yeah. Stalin killed half of them himself. I don't know, but um, they were brave people, tough people. They, were, they fought to protect their homeland, you know, and they're not bad people. I know with the Ukraine war, horrible. I, I can't believe Putin did this. I think it's one of the worst and dumbest things anybody ever did. But um, Russian people in general are not bad people. They're pretty good people. They're very much like Americans. They they love their family, their friends. You know, they're just regular people. And uh, so are Ukrainians. And I have to believe most Russians are not happy fighting with Ukraine. They have relatives there. They share a similar language, religion. It's not good. Not good. But anyway, Viktor Tikhanov, as tough as he was, that's as nice a kid. His son was a great, great guy. And and uh, and his grandson, Viktor, he's, he's a product of America. I used to tease the, the grandfather, uh, Victor, I used to tell him, you owe us money. We developed your grandson. And he'd laugh. He'd, he'd laugh. He'd say, you stole enough of my players to more than pay for it. But he, he was loving to guy to his family. And and uh, I liked him. I, I, I know he did some things to Petitov and these guys. That was pretty horrendous. But uh, it is what it is. But the point being, the most successful professional coaches are selfish. 
serious. And if they do anything to win, and they they don't worry about long term effects on the player, um, they don't. So then you had you know, Herb Brooks, selfish coach, versus. Victor Tikhonov, selfish coach, in that famous bronze medal game and gearing up to play each other and the whole buildup and everything. So it's fascinating that those two were against each other with that characteristic. And that's why they probably were in the final, you know, final round there to uh, see who's going to end up going for the gold medal. Um, but you got to, I don't say this derogatorily, I want to make that clear. It, that is a quality that I've observed. Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, I I think you're probably more right than wrong. And there's always the exception, you know. But okay. it's probably more the it's probably more the rule, right? Well, I look at uh, people like Dave Peterson, uh, Timmy Taylor. They're not selfish enough. Lou Vero, we're not selfish enough. We don't. We're just not selfish enough. I, I don't know what else, how to, else to say, and it's my personal opinion. And it's a quality that if I'm a professional general manager or owner, I want in my coach, my head coach. I want him to be selfish because I want to win. We're playing for big bucks. I want to win. And and uh, if that's what it takes, look, one of the best coaches, best player ever, one of the probably one of the 10 best players that ever played in the history of America is Bill Cleary. He's a great player. He's a great guy. And he was a great coach at Harvard. They won one time, the whole thing, which thrilled me to, to thrilled me that they won. Bill was not selfish. He was as good a human being as you'll ever come across. However, other guys win because they have that edge that they don't, they'll do whatever they have to do to win. And then they'll, uh, you know, they'll just live with it. They'll live with it. Um, but that's an honest feeling that I, uh, observation I made that I think is accurate. You know, and I, if I, I, I pick a different coach, I pick Bill Cleary to coach my kids. Skills are going to get better. They're going to have fun playing. I trust them. I know that he'll treat them like they're his own kids. But if I want to win, I'll pick uh, some selfish guy. I'm running, uh, picking a team for the uh, NHL or something like that, top college, whatever. I want a guy that's a little selfish that's going to do whatever necessary to win. Well, um, back, back to Herb. Uh, tell us more. All right. So anyway, Herb and I were colleagues. And he was very respectful to me. He wrote me a lot of notes over the years and letters. And uh, always very, never said it to my, to my face or to the media or to people that I know of. But he would write me letters or leave me phone messages that were totally out of character for him. They were very nice comments he would make. He, would, he did write several times to me. Uh, thank you for doing such a great job with you with A House. He said best thing that ever happened to A House. He would say he would write, never verbalize it. Just <laughs> just would write it. And I never had any. I had respect for him, but I never had any fear of him. And I would say things to him that I think it would stun him sometimes. 
you know? I, I mean, nobody would ever say things to him like I did. I, you know, I'd say to him, you know, he'd ask me something, I'd say, boy, for a living legend, you don't know shit, do you? And, and <laughs> he, he, he'd just stare at me and grin, you know? And uh, so he was good. And he appreciated my relationship with, he respected Tarasov. I introduced him to him personally in Minneapolis when we did the dryland training tour. And he gave him a tie from the University of Minnesota as a gift. And a, a year later, we won a gold medal with Herb as a great leader and coach. And uh, I, I told Tarasov because he liked the tie and I told him that's who and he said that to me well, he must have learned a lot at that seminar we did <laughs> 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 don't tell the Russian he told me don't tell the Soviet authorities <laughs> so <laughs> so anyway uh, I'm on my way to the World Junior Tournament and Herb had asked me to stop if possible, in Lake Placid. They were playing the four nation against the B team of Sweden, Soviet, and Czechoslovakia. Of course, I said, yes, if Hal Trumbull approves it. I asked Hal, and he did, and Hal said, of course. So I came a few days early. I watched that tournament. Our team was playing great. But I was watching the first game. We were playing Sweden, and I noticed that Sweden would send a forward, a weak side forward, out into the neutral zone when the puck was deep. We had the puck deep in their end. They would fly this guy. and We played with the red line then. And he would skate along the red line to the other side of the rink. And both our defensemen would leave the zone. So what the Swedes would do, and it was trapping us into uh, having two of our players out, that meant for them to, because we could skate with them, with anybody. And we were as good a condition as anybody. And that's a tribute to the coaching staff. But anyway, the um, that would create a four-on-three in our own zone for the Swedes. So they just find the empty man, they break right out. So I mentioned Bob Fleming was sitting there. He was in charge of the whole program. He's the guy that picked Herb Brooks to coach. He knew Herb from his playing days at Rochester because Bob was from Winnipeg originally, and he became the head man at the Mayo Clinic. Ken Johansson worked under him. Now you see all those connections, and Ken was from Edmonton. So you see the Canadian influence that helped our hockey, and uh you see the connection between those two guys and her. See? And Kenny had become general manager of the Olympic team. But him and Herb knocked heads all the time. And Herb demanded that he be replaced. And he was by Ralph Jasinski. All those guys are gone now. They're all dead. But I, I, I know what happened. I, I saw it. And um, so I'm just sitting there in the stands, close. Right on ice level almost and Fleming walks over to me and he says what are you thinking I said well I said the Swedes are taking advantage of us by doing this and he, he said write it down and I had a program I wrote it as best I could and he said give it to me and he went and gave it to her 
And then Herb came out of the dressing room, the period, in between period, and he called me over and he said, Look, come on down here a minute. And I did. He said, That's great. You're right. Well, what would you do? I said, Just let the one guy go with him. You got to cover him, the strong side defenseman. And then we still have four on four in our own end. We can still forecheck them and, you know, not give them an easy out. He said, okay, good. And he said, uh, when are you leaving? I said, I'm going to leave tomorrow. I got to meet my team and go to, I think it was Germany. I think Carpenter was on that team, maybe. And he said, all right. And then uh, he said, I'll talk to you uh, when you get back. Good luck. I said, you too. And that was it. And uh, he called me when I got back and he asked me if I, because the Olympics were in two months in Lake Placid, right in that rink. And he asked me if I would, uh, and he kept in touch with me, tell me about his games and tell me who was playing good and who wasn't. And would, who would you add to the team? And I told him I would add Aaron Broughton and I would add, uh, um, who the, maybe Timmy Hara. They've got 40-something goals with the U. University, I knew what the U was then, the University of Minnesota. And there was another play. Oh, Bobby Brooks. He, was, he had uh, played me on the junior team defense, and he played great. And uh, I, I thought he would have a better career, really. He was really a talented, hard, hard-nosed player. And uh, he said, I'm going to take a look at Hara again. And You like Aaron, don't you? I said, you got his brother, Neil, a little different, but Aaron's a great player. And uh, I think that proved so. And he was my recommendation, him and Bruce Driver, when I was scouting for the Colorado Rockies before they came to Devils. You should draft those guys, I think, in the sixth, seventh, eighth rounds, whatever. they I was on the scouting staff, but they didn't even know who they were, the scouts, and they were great guys. I love those guys, big-time hockey men. But they didn't even know these players. Maslin, Yari Curry, Pelly, Lynn. We could have had every one of them. Joe Mullen, we could have gotten Dwight Foster and, and a dollar. That was the deal. And we didn't do it. They didn't know these kids. They didn't know Americans and college kids, and they didn't know Europeans. Uh, that's all true shit, what I'm telling you right now. That's really the way it was. There was no scheme to keep anybody out. They just didn't know them or respect them. At that time, the rage was Western Canadian junior hockey because they were tough. That's what everybody was looking at, New Westerns, the Bruins and stuff. And there's a need for that, too. But there's players all over the world, as it's pretty evident today. And uh, college players can play as well as anybody. So um, Herb said to me, uh, would you come and i got to talk to Fleming because he said they have to get permission from one of those uh, bureau- bureaucracies, FAAA or something like that, to use a walkie-talkie. He said, would you sit upstairs and have a walkie-talkie to Craig Patrick on the bench. Craig can relay your messages to me. It'd be just another set of eyes. He said, uh, uh, 
you know, made me helpless. Would you do that? I said, sure. But then he expanded it. He said, I want to meet with you every morning at the rink and every evening. I didn't live in the village. I lived in a uh, a mobile home with Art Berglund, who was the PA announcer for the games, Dave Oglin, who was USA Hockey's uh, PA, not PA, uh, publicist, I guess you would call it, media guy. Like the producer? And me. And me and John, John Fleming, Bob's son, John, who when became vice president, I think, for Walmart. And the four of us were in two bunk beds oh. in a little mobile. Oh, I want to know what the, was going on after the game. That had to have been a party spot, right? Which game? After, after, uh, after we're winning. Well, we didn't. You mean after we won the gold medal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't the Russian game. We had to beat Finland. Right, right, right. I know, but at the end of it, I can imagine that the four of you—that was a trailer that was rocking. Right? No, I. Well, I, I was. I, well, let me get to that. Okay, and I'll tell okay. you what happened exactly. No one knows these stories. Right, this so, is beautiful. Yeah, and they're true. They're pretty accurate. If I, you know, it's a long time ago. So anyway, um, I went I, first time I went back. So then he said, "I want to meet with you." So I'd meet and every morning in the dressing room. And it was weird. He never, Craig Patrick didn't come to those meetings. It was just Herb and I. It was uncomfortable for me a little bit, but I would do the advanced scouting. See, when Sweden landed, that was our first uh, opponent. They landed in what's now Kennedy Airport. I was there to meet them. And because of my work with USA Hockey, previous work, I knew the coach. Tommy Sandlin, great guy, he's dead, great coach, and the team leader, Folky Lindstrom. He was an older man then. He lived into his 90s, and he's finally passed away. And they were great guys to work with. I said, I'm going to be your host. And Folky said, great, Lou, great. They spoke English. Great, great, we know you. So very good. And I was with them for 10, 12 days. I took them to New Hampshire to play you know what the score was? They beat Dartmouth. You want to guess the score? 10 nothing. 23 nothing, and they played at half speed. They never missed the pass. Oh. <laughs> the entire game. Wow. Uh, I watched them practice twice a day. They played somebody else, killed them, and took them to a game uh, in Boston Garden. They wanted to see Salming play. Toronto at Boston, it was half empty the stadium, and they still they took a quarter off each ticket. John Carlton, the guy's name was. He was Harry's assistant, and they're nice enough, but they gave us a little break, and we paid for it, USA Hockey. And uh, anyway, so I I knew everything there is to know about Team Sweden. I saw every practice, wrote voluminous notes. And gave all that information to Herb, but I cut it down to four or five key, key factors. He asked me about the goalie. The goalie was a young Pelly uh, Lindbergh. And uh, is that his name? Pelly Lindbergh. Right? Yeah, yeah. Played in the one that died yeah. in the car. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, uh, anyway, he. Uh, 
that Herb loved it. And I said, Herb, I got to tell you this. I watched every practice, every game. They never made a bad pass. They skate beautifully. They're so skilled. They're probably the most skilled team in this. And I, to this day, I feel that way. If you're skilled, they were the best. They were unbelievably talented. And the Czech team was loaded. But the three coaches on the Czech team, we had them in the second game, were very good friends of mine. Rudy Bukac, Carl Gutz was the head coach, and Stanislav Neveseli and Bukac were assistants. Only Neveseli is alive. And uh, they, these guys were smart and good. And they could uh, speak two spoke English, but the head coach spoke German. I could speak German well enough to communicate. And I would talk to them. And it was interesting because uh, they were concerned about our team. They saw us in the tie with Sweden, and they didn't think we'd be able to skate as well as we did. That surprised them. But uh, And we went to eat out a few times together. So I would talk to them, and I could especially talk to Bukac. I said, Ludi, is everything good? He said, no, Lou. We're on edge. We have extra uh, secret police with us because Stasny's a... Rumors are they're looking to uh, run away from Czechoslovakia. In those days, there was no republic for this and that. They, they, this was a country, Czechoslovakia. And they were a great team on paper. Definitely had a shot at winning the gold medal. But they lost Ivan Halinka two weeks before. He broke his leg in a league game. And uh, they had their power play built around him. And Bukac told me it's a big concern. I said, a big concern? I mean, you got the Stockney boys. You got this guy. That guy, I can't remember all the names now. You got so many great players. He said, yes, Louis, but you know, we're very worried about Stockney. The rumor told that we have very many special police with us. We don't want to embarrass our country and create problems. Also, you know, there's some tensions between Slovak and Czech. And uh, all three coaches, we are Czech, and uh, we probably have one of the five best players in the world who's a Slovak, Peter Sasha. Great player. I told Peter that story. And he said, Bukac said that about me? I said, absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. He said, that's a huge compliment coming from a Czech. Hmm. I, I'm telling you, he has great respect for you, Peter. Oh, Louis, that's, thank you. I like to hear that. Thank you. So uh, anyway, uh, Hal said, yeah, you can do it, Lou. And then I did it with her. And we would, uh, that was it. And, and, oh, in between periods, I had a little booth upstairs. They took it down. It's not there anymore. And uh, I would come down in a hallway overlooking the heat skating oval. Nobody used it. It was closed off. And Herb would stand with his back against the wall, and I'd stand in front of him, and he'd say, what do you think? And I told him, I, 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 I think I helped him in this way. Uh, by the way, 
they on the bench saw what I saw. So my whatever words I would give them uh, during the game really just reconfirmed what, what they knew. So, you know, and that's helpful. But that I didn't change anything. And uh, But I, I felt I helped him, except in the Russian game, I think I helped him more uh, with confidence than anything else. Because 90% of all coaches are insecure. That's another one of my observations. I don't care who they are. They're insecure. I, I try to fake it. I was insecure too. But I try to fake Make believe I wasn't. But down deep, you always worry about getting beat. You always worried about being held responsible only. You always worry about uh, making a mistake that you're not good enough coach. I think that's pretty normal. And I think most coaches have uh, an element of that. And um, Herb was no different. And he was pacing after the first period against Sweden. Silk scored for us. I forgot who scored for them, but it was 1-1. And he was pacing in that little area. And, uh, and he was cursing and under his breath, he was, oh, uh, that effing Joe Hansen, he's ruined us, he's killed us. The schedule, the schedule was too tough. We're a tired team, we're, we're a tired team. And I, I knew this could be a, a, a pivotal point in the game and in the tournament. Cause I had a different, sitting upstairs was a lot easier to see everything. I saw our kids skating with this team. I knew how good they were, still was. We were playing with them. We were, we were in the game. I had a fear going into the game, which I never shared with anyone, that they might run us over 3 4 1. And, and, uh, I, uh, uh, I said to Herb, I, I, I kind of reached up to him with both my hands. He had a, you know, a sport coat or a suit jacket. And I grabbed each lapel and I gently shook him. And I said, Herb, you have no idea how good the Swedes are. We just played with them. We could be up two to one, in fact. We just played with them. What the hell are you talking about? They're the best skating team here, the best skill team here. We just skated with them. And we could be up. We could win a medal in this tournament. If we can hang on and, and, and somehow win this hockey game, I never thought of a tie. You know, I just said, win this hockey game, we can win a medal. This is a huge game. We can't lose this game. We lose this game, and then we lose one more game, we're out of the tournament. As far as medals go. If the rules were different than they are today. And, and, and he, he looked at me stunned. He was stunned what I said to him. I said, the reason we're as good as we are is because you're an effing great coach that's done a great job, you and Craig, getting this team ready to play here. Don't find excuses before the game's over. Ken Johansson did a great job. I know you don't like him anymore. The great man. He did a great job. The team is in great shape. They've come through a lot. It, it's down to 40 minutes. Let's play hockey. 
under your leadership, we can win this game. Come on now. And he, he said to me, you really believe that? That's what he said to me. You really, I said, absolutely, 100%. Come on now, I'll see you next period. Turned and went up the steps back to my booth. And, and he, he went, and we end up with a tie. And we played very well, and so did Sweden. And Sweden was that good. Okay? Um, I think they won the bronze medal. They won the bronze, and there's yeah. a, real quick, there's an interesting story uh, back 30 years ago after the Olympics about how that was the start of the miracle when they when we got we got, we got a tie, right? Yeah, got, that was, and that was pure luck because I think it was Bo Berglund had a chance to chip it off the boards and out, and they win the game. We had our goalie out, seconds left. And I don't know why, but he tried to make a pass across ice and one of the greatest of all American players that I've ever seen was Mark Pavlich. He was a great hockey player. Defensively, even better than he was offensively. And, of course, he he got a stick in midair on the puck, knocked it down, and, and Billy Baker out of position. He was a left-handed shooting, left defenseman, had somehow ended up on the right side. And I believe he one time did it, went off the inside of the short side post and beat Lindbergh, and we got the tie. And and uh, but anyway, it was a great, for me, it was a victory. It was great. And now I was petrified because I had gone to Montreal and watched uh, the Czechs play Canada or somebody up there, and they destroyed them. And, oh, my God, I knew how good Czechoslovakia was. And uh, I thought they were better than the Swedes. At least on paper, they were. Um, and now we got to play the, we called them the Czechs then. We didn't say the Czechoslovaks. We just said Czechs. And uh, for short, we killed them. We we destroyed them, I think, seven to three. We humiliated them. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. That's how much confidence the Swedish game meant for our kids. And then I knew we were going to win a medal. I knew it. I knew it. And the Soviet team that was there was the best team maybe the Soviets have ever had. Right. It was an unbelievable team. And uh, But they were very, the behind-the-scenes stuff no one knows about. I used to make tea in between periods. That was my official role for being at the Olympics was to help because we were hosting it, USA Hockey. Yep. So I made six pots of tea for each team uh, and bring it to their dressing room down underneath the stands. And I did the other stuff with Herb on the side, really. And uh, my role really was to be like a host for all the teams. So I was in their locker rooms. I could see everything, hear everything. I do know a lot of languages. I could understand some things and little tips that I could give to Herb. Nice. spot. I love it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, and I used to bring tea to the Soviet room. That was really the first time I ever met and got to know a little bit uh, Victor Tikhanov. I knew the president of Soviet hockey very well, Boris uh, Moyorov. He's still alive. He's about 87. Good guy. Great, tough guy. He was captain of the 56 team that won the Olympics in Cortina. Here's something else. Star player with 
played with his brother Yevgeny, who's dead, and Stashinov, who's still alive. They were great players, national team players, and Spartak number one unit, number one uh, troika, call them threesome. And uh, he was friendly to me. Well, but okay, so Tikhanov wasn't friendly, just no, professional, right? right. But it, and I, they, they were not. They were on edge. They were right. really. They hated the Olympic Village. They called it a jail. Really, prison coming from where and, they came from. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And they hated to get off the bus and go into the rink because they had to pass, even though they were safe. They had to pass about a thousand shouting people in Russian language. This is the unknown story of Lake Placid Olympics. I can't tell you how many Poles, Hungarians, Czechoslovakians, Romanians, all kinds of people from the Eastern Communist bloc that escaped and came to USA and Canada because of our proximity to Montreal that, you know, hour and a half drive and they came in mass to these games not to cheer for so much for team canada or team usa but to harass the soviet team and they could all speak russian it was mandatory when they grew up in their country and after the 56 uprising in hungary and the, the 68 uprising in czechoslovakia you know soviet troops went in and killed some of their people. Yeah. These people had nothing but hatred for them. And they would shout things in Russian that were, I guess, very offensive and uh, upset them. Whoa. They were on edge. They were never, they were. They didn't feel safe. Okay, so, and, uh, okay, hold on, Lou. All right, so yeah. I'm, you've got, you've got people yelling in Russian against the Russian team. The Russian team is unhappy with their accommodations and being here and everything. And you've got Lou Vero going into the locker room, serving tea and hearing and seeing all the things that are going on. Now we do have some Russian listeners, so we're not going to let you say what you heard or maybe shared, but all of these factors coming into play, we know nothing about this stuff. This is fabulous. Yeah. I've never nobody heard else. Nobody else might have witnessed it. And I wore a USA jacket and I walked around Lake Placid a lot, usually with Art Berglund. I went to the Italian house where I ate almost all my meals free. They were so nice to me. I'd bring them a USA puck or, or pin and I could speak to them. Yeah. And they were very, very nice to me. And uh, But anyway, so walking around, when I saw all these people yelling and shouting the first time, yeah. I walked into that group to see what was going on. I didn't know what it was exactly. Right. And they saw my jacket with USA on it. They started embracing me, hugging me. Some woman kissing me on each cheek huh. and, and, and saying, thank you, thank you. And I, I would ask them. They could all speak some English because they were immigrants. That they're smart people. They immigrated. They had to learn the language to make a living. Right. And they would say, they would spit. They'd go, we hate Russians. <laughs> and stuff like that. So it it took a whole, and the Russians weren't going to promote that because they didn't want to have their image uh, 
the government wouldn't allow uh, to show they didn't want their people at home to ever know this happened yeah. that created hatred the invasions they had so like it is today with Ukraine you think Ukrainians like them uh, it is what it is you think Iraqis like the US or Vietnamese like us kill dead people too they don't like you if you do stuff like that so uh, anyway that to me was is something that was Missing, and I did an interview with, I think it was NBC Sports, and told them all this. They never aired it. They, well, they I will never air it. I will air this. This, this is good I, stuff. I, I think this is, uh, I think this upset the Soviets. I'm not trying to find excuses for them, because we deserve to win the game. Jim Craig, look, I, I've always loved Jimmy Craig. I had him on team. I know. He comes across sometimes as cocky or whatever. He's a very honest, intelligent guy. He was never better than he was for those two weeks, three weeks, whatever it was in Lake Weston. He stood on his head. Yeah, he did. I don't think he, as good a goalie as he was in college, I don't think he ever played as well in college or in the pros as, as he did in Lake Weston. And you know, you cannot win. You can't win a Calder Cup. You can't win a Stanley Cup. You can't win an NCAA title, a USHL, a North American League, uh, an OHL, anything. You you don't win without great goalkeepers. Period. No, you're right. The team with the, best, with the hottest goalie in the playoffs usually wins the championship. And the goalie with the best save percentage Usually, the, the team that wins. Yeah, and the, you got to yeah, remember, Tradiac. Yeah, Tradiac let a bad goal in. You he, could say, he did. Yeah, against you know, and the, and they and they pulled him, and that probably cost them. Yeah. So now we get back to Mister Ruzioni. All right. Who never got, in my opinion, yes, he got the winning goal and all this and fame and sold six or a million dollars and deserves everything. He was. A goal scorer. He was always a goal scorer going back to high school. Mike Luzioni was not lucky. He was really, I mean, the goal he scored was a great goal. A goal scorer's goal. And he's one of those guys that always scored, like Boris Mikhailov. He can score great goals and he can score garbage goals. Some guys can only score great goals. He can do both. And he was a team leader. I give him a lot of credit. And and I can tell you right now, he was as close as could be to being cut. And and it wasn't because Herb didn't appreciate or respect him. And it wasn't because I didn't at the time. I learned to see how good he was. But I, I didn't think he was a better player than Aaron Broughton. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, and, and stuff like that. But... Uh, Boy, I tip my hat to him, and I'm so happy it worked out for the team, for the yeah. country, for Mark, for Mike, for Herb, for everybody. It was great. You know, but, uh, uh, there's an old, there's a, I, I know Mike Ashley a long time too. He's a, a wonderful guy. But you know, there's an old joke. The Jewish probably never heard this. They said, you know, if Mike would have been off by 
another two or three inches instead of advertising rolled gold pretzels, he'd have been selling rolled gold pretzels. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh God, that's great. He look, he earned everything he got and he's been a wonderful spokesman. So each game went on. I had I had played against as a coach, my team played in the World Junior Tournament that that year that I was leaving for it was in Sweden. That's where the tournament was, Sweden. And Victor Tikhanov, one of his closest friends and former teammates, even defense partner at times, was a guy named Vitali Davidov, a defenseman, a great little guy, defenseman. Technical as hell. He was great. Wasn't big, just left-handed shooter, played great deep. He was great for Moscow Dynamo his whole career and the national team. And he's about 88 now. He's alive and still goes to the Moscow Dynamo rink every day. And he's involved. Uh, great man, great player. He was coaching the junior team. And on that junior team was Kasatan. No, not Kasatanov. was uh, Krutov and Larianov. Big name. There was another one. I can't think of who it was. But um, they ended up winning the tournament. But we played them in game two or three. Uh, we had a good team. But again, if we would have had, we had we had some great players on that team. David Christian, uh, Neil Broughton, Aaron Broughton, Bobby Brook. We had some good teams. But anyway, the way they fought you was very interesting. They used what they call a 2-1-2 forecheck. It was very aggressive, and they were big, strong kids. They were, you know, they were truly the best 20 Soviet players. We probably had 10 of our best, but we didn't have 20. And we didn't have strong goalkeeping. It wasn't experience. Nothing against the goalie, but it wasn't any. We're down 3 nothing after 1. Can't get out of our own zone. The way that fought check. So we came up with a plan how to defeat it. And I explained it to the team. And it worked. And it, 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 it worked. Um, they got an empty net goal at the end. Two empty net goals. They beat us 5-3. And we came back in that game. And their goalie, Jerry Osmo, Never heard of him since. He was player of the game for them. I forgot who our player of the game was. But anyway, uh, we competed really well with them. And I saw the way they forechecked. So I assumed in the, uh, they were going to, I assumed that when I saw this, I couldn't tell in the, uh, against when Soviets beat Japan, I don't know, 17-1 or something. I, I couldn't see him doing it, but when I saw them play Canada, they beat them, but they played with, or some team like that, or Finland, uh, they used that 2-1-2 forecheck, and I, I told Herb about it. I said, I put two and two together. Tikhanov must have told Davidov how he wanted the junior team to play in case they bring players up. They'd be familiar with the same system that the big national team is the senior national team is using. And he said, uh, 
okay, what is it? And I showed him on the board. We had blackboards and showed him on the board. And I said, this is what we did in the junior world championships. And it was very, very effective. It, it stopped their forecheck. So if they do that to us, and I assume they will, I think you ought to consider. I was very careful. I never told anybody what to do. I said, I think you ought to consider at least letting our team know if you don't like what I proposed to you, it, it could be a backup for the coach. You pick whatever way you want to come out, but this is probably what they're going to do. And he said, what if we just bang it around the board hard and the wing it tips it out? I said, if he's out high enough, but their defense, Herb, they got big guys, Basilia, Sarita, Pervukin, Julia Letina, um, Betisa, and I think Kasatana. I said they got really big, strong defensemen against Crystal, Strobel, Fuzzy. Our guys are not that big. Not going to be so easy to tip it out or to pull them off the boards and let it just uh, slide out into the neutral zone. I said, uh, uh, hey, you call it the way you want, and but be aware of it. So he said, "Well, you 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 call Craig and tell him if what you think after we start the game." I just I don't think we have enough time to uh, get them to change their think, you know, change their way. I'm just going to say uh, around hard. Well, around hard didn't work for the reasons I said. How how how? Great hockey players, these kids. How are they going to tip anything out, Silky, against 200-pound, perfect-condition animals coming down on you? Men. We had kids, mostly. They had men, grown grown men. And I, about 10 minutes in, 8 minutes in, I said, Craig, tell her to, to tell the team that he went over it with them to try that. And he did. And it made it a little easier. Um, I'm not saying it was a turning point or anything, but I think it helped. And the other, and I, I think it scared enough into not risking. And and, and uh, so they became a little more, uh, not less aggressive, but the boards opened up. And uh, that helped. Helped us get the puck out a lot. Um, the big the big thing about this team, and I mean this with all my heart, and I want everybody to understand, I didn't see the movie. I don't watch fake movies. You didn't see the movie? Although, oh, come on. No, no. no. <laughs> it captured America. Why would I, <laughs> you lived Why it. would I want to see a movie that I lived? Yeah, exactly. I that know is true. Fact. And I watched once the Lou Gehrig story or the baby or whatever. Their face. I saw the highlights of the movie, uh, and, and they had players playing positions that they didn't play in the real games. Or they were right-handed shooters when the real player was a left-handed shooter. Not accurate in my book. Interesting. I, Patty Brooks says it was perfect. Her, uh, Art Berglund saw it ten times. Said it was great. He was there. I, for me, I can't watch movies like that because to me, they I 
I don't, why would I want to destroy? My grandmother once told me, I used to say to her, how come you never went back to Italy to visit? And she said to me, because it wouldn't be the same. My memories are very important to me. And how I remember things 30 years later is not going to be the same. It's going to change. I remember where I lived. I remember my church where I received my first communion, baptism, confirmation. I remember all these things. I don't want to lose those memories. If I go back, everything will be different. It's not going to be the same. And it'll spoil my memories. And I thought of that. And there's a lot of truth to that. I have my memories, which I'm sharing with all of you. Yeah. And uh, I didn't want them to be corrupted. I know. I was there. I lived it. I know what happened and who was what. Yeah. In fact, I went back a few, five, six years ago to Lake Placid to speak at a coaching seminar. And I went into a locker room and choked up. Actually choked up. Uh, yeah. Went to the area I spoke with Herb. Every, he's gone now. Yeah. Spoke to I saw him standing against the wall like he did, lifting up one leg and putting it against the wall and knee jutting out and talking to me. I looked to my right and I saw the oval is still there. I remember seeing that great figure skater we had. What was his name? He won about seven gold medals. Eric, uh, Eric Hyden. Eric Hyden. Yeah. He's a hell of a hockey player, too. He became mm-hmm. a doctor. Yep. He was great. He did. And he, played, he revolutionized the slide board. That's right. <laughs> him him and, and Grant Stamberg. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, and, and I watched, you know, and, and I, I, I teared up remembering and you know, especially when people are dead. Yeah. Right? yeah think of them. Yeah. It was very, it was, uh, it was nice in a way, but it was very sad for me, you know? Right. It was very, very, very sad. So that was my role. I don't know if it had any effect, but that was my role behind the scenes. I was honored and happy to be a small part of it. Then you asked if there was a big celebration. Yes. After we won the gold medal, it was on the ice. Upstairs, I went upstairs. Warren Strello was sitting there. There was some drinks and hors d'oeuvres or something, sandwiches. I don't remember what exactly. I was there. Herb was there. Ralph Jasinski was there. A few other people. And Fayette Cut came in and Hal Trumbull. It was nice. We were in a little room, not a big room, nothing fancy. More relief than anything else. There was joy, of course. And Jasinski came over to Herb. He replaced Ken Johansson. And he said, Herbie, we just got a call from President Carter. He's sending a plane. And uh, wants the entire team at the White House tomorrow. And there's going to be a parade in New York. And also, that's to be determined later. And... Uh, some of the players had already celebrated and had some drinks. And Herb said, uh, all right, um, I get all the players together. I want them back at the village. No drinking. We're not going to go to the White House drunk tomorrow or disheveled. They need to get some rest and look good tomorrow. 
And Jasinski said, bullshit, Herb. He said, I had enough of your bullshit, too, just like Kenny did. He said, you're not running the team. You're fired. I'm in charge. <laughs> oh, my God. Right after. <laughs> this is, this, right in front of my face. Is that true story? Oh, absolutely true. Oh, my God. And, and Strelo, I remember Strelo saying, here we go again. Herb was irate. <laughs> he says, I'm running this team, not you. Anyway, I don't know. I just shook my head. Why are we going here? And, of course, that that was the end of her being a supporter of USA Hockey. Um, and he died. That's so funny. Yeah, he said, I just won us a gold medal, and this is what you're saying to me? Oh, my God. And it was terrible, but I got to tell you, there's a second part to it. <laughs> I spent many years trying to... Uh, I was unsuccessful trying to get, because he was tough to deal with, trying to get her back on, back with USA Hockey. And I tried to bring Bob Johnson and her together as friends. I offered to have USA Hockey fly him in to golf, to the Broadmoor, spend three, four days together and work out whatever animosities they had. I remember saying to both of them, you're our two best coaches. You can't be enemies. We got to build hockey in our country. We need you. What a great example you two could set together. And they both, to their credit, they said they'd think about it. And within days of each other, they both told me no effing way. They hated each other. And I still don't know why, but they- I think we did about six hours over a couple of days. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I'm, just warm- I'm just warming up. Well, I know you yeah, I'll get some more. Well, you know, the thing that I, I wanted to say is thank you. Um, my dad, huge hockey man. We're from Minnesota originally, John Mariucci. My dad went to the U and everything. And um, I was a gymnast growing up. Where were you? Where, where in Minnesota? We're, that family from Albert Lee. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I love Calvary. Yeah, it's a good little town. But when the literally the game was getting ready to start for the 1984, the game versus Russia, my dad said that they had to that they were walking out the hotel room door because it was the beginning of my gymnastics meet. So he missed the game. to go watch me in my competition. And so hearing these stories from you is just a gift to him. So I got to thank you for that. Cause he's the that's, man that's who introduced good, hockey that's, to me. That's a good father. Yeah. That's a good father. He's a very that's good father. That's a great father that he would give that up to you. I don't think I would do that for my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he he really is, and he he's the one who instilled the love of hockey into me at a very young age, and um, so I I know for him, I love giving that gift to him of the stories that you shared about the Olympics there, and and all of the stories. I mean, he he listens to all the podcasts too, but I just wanted to thank you on that little personal note there. You're very welcome. I, I put on I put on my selfish hat a little bit. I want to be there a good go. coach. <laughs> 
There you go. You're yeah. going to be a great coach, right? Yeah. <laughs> you are a great coach, Lou. And what you've done is amazing for American hockey and hockey around the world. I mean, it's amazing. This is fabulous. Then, And Lou, the hockey apostle, Mangaluzo, thank you for putting us in touch with Lou so He's a great guy. He's a great guy. And one of the things that I loved about Lou, he was never afraid to say what he felt. Yes. Uh, and he's intelligent. And he made enemies, too. I'm sure I have, and he has. But too bad. We say it what we really believe. And, you know, I heard a saying on TV uh, last night. I was watching television, and I won't give away my politics. So the guy, because I'll piss off half the country. Anyway, the guy said, the guy speaking, the host said, I'd rather get punched right in the face by somebody for and know how they really feel than to be lied to and told how great I am and they don't mean it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how Lou operated and that's how I operated. And that's how John Mariucci operated. Well, I listen, I'm writing my own pen with my own, my own story, my own pen. So, you know, that's it. So, so, I, I don't think I'm going to change going. now. Hey, listen, where do I write my book? All their hair's going to burn. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you. Hey, Lou, they'll be running with their hair on fire when I'm done. Yes. Well, you've said things to me over the past 25 years. Yeah. Uh, so many, so many things that exactly how they came out. And you at least had the courage to say how you really felt because you have common sense and you're intelligent. And that's the truth. Yeah. That happens to be the truth. Well, sometimes it hasn't gone so well for me, but that's okay. Yeah, no, same here. I got fired. Remember that. <laughs> okay, well, Lou, Julie, thanks so much. Okay? Yes. Bye, Julie. Bye, Thank Lou. you. Okay. Bye. Okay. Thank you. Okay, guys. See you. Bye. Bye. And there you have it. I do have another reel of outtakes of more stories from Lou that I'll share down the road. Um, But oh my gosh, I love the two essential characteristics of the great coaches. One being that they have to be selfish and two, they have to be insecure. So take a look in your own life and look back at the coaches that you've worked with and that you know that you've, you've, you've played for and do they fit the selfish and the insecure if they don't have those, did there were there things that you thought you could have gone further? I don't know, but I thought that was a really interesting thing. Hearing the the feedback about Aruzioni, um, and of course Jimmy Craig and everything that he did in 1980, and then how about some of the history that NBC Sports didn't air? But here you heard it on Mother Puckers, all of the chanting by the Hungarians and the displaced Russians. Wow. It's craziness. Now I'm going to be waiting to see if any of that FBI car theft ring, if they were Russian, that they're going to be waiting outside for me because I'm airing this. So to our friends in Russia, to our friends in Canada, Sweden, Finland, Switzerland. Oh my goodness. I'm trying to remember all the countries that have been listening. Thank you for listening. I love it. We are going to go into some historical accounts from some of our Canadian friends coming up and then some more great American hockey players coming up. But um, I think all of you are leading into your state's playoffs and your league playoffs. So good luck this weekend if you're traveling. And I will see you at the rink.